Disney Deciphered, a podcast helping you save money, time, and stress as you plan your Disney vacation. On today's episode, we take a look at the basics of Disney Cruise Line in our DCL 101 episode. We discuss why you might want to consider a Disney Cruise vacation and how you can go about doing that. Find old episodes of the podcast at DisneyDeciphered.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere you find podcasts. And positive reviews are always very appreciated. Connect with us anytime, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at WDWDeciphered on Twitter, or on our Facebook page, Disney Deciphered. And if you'd like to support the podcast regularly or with a one-time donation, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Disney Deciphered. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Joe from As The Joe Flies. And I'm Leslie from Trips With Tykes. Welcome back to Disney Deciphered. So we're going to sail away from the parks a little bit and talk about Disney Cruise Line. Both you and I, Leslie, have Disney cruises coming up in the year 2020. But we thought, you know, people who are interested, it'd be good to do a little bit of a DCL 101. Just talk about the basics of Disney Cruise Line, why we enjoy it, what you kind of need to know and what you need to think about as you're looking into Disney Cruise Line. So what do you think, Leslie? You ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. And I'm really surprised that we've been podcasting as long as we have and have not done a Disney Cruise 101 episode. And we've covered Alani and some of the foreign parks, but we've both done Disney cruises. So uh, definitely time, long overdue. Let's start with Disney Cruise Line. You know, what is Disney Cruise Line? I guess let's go through like the basics. You know, what makes a Disney cruise a Disney cruise? Well, it's a cruise. So, I mean, there are a lot of features if you've gone with any of the major cruise lines that are going to be similar to you. But of course, it's run by Disney. So there's a lot of extra magic and service is pretty darn amazing. And of course, it's more expensive than comparable cruise lines. So, you know, you get what you pay for, right? Yeah. And I think the first thing to kind of think about is Disney Cruise Line, you should think of it as like a luxury cruise line. And in a lot of places, it does reach the levels of luxury cruises. But you know, it's not like a kind of cheapest possible cruise type situation, you are like paying for service, you're paying for quality, even though people have their own subjective views of what quality is, you know, that's what's going on when you're paying for Disney Cruise, because it is not cheap. Yeah, I totally agree. This is not Carnival and it's not even Royal Caribbean, which has has certainly upped its game in the last couple of years. I mean, it is a more luxurious cruising experience. I'd say if you were to compare it to something on land, it's equivalent to a Disney deluxe resort. So it's more like the Polynesian or the Grand Floridian or Aulani, something like that in terms of the quality of service you're getting and the accommodations and the activities and all of that. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's similar in the sense that a deluxe resort, you're paying for a lot of the service, even though the room might not be like as nice as what you might get at like uh, Four Seasons or something like that. That being said, the cabins in Disney Cruise Line are pretty nice, but we will get to that uh, when it is time. Let's start by just talking about what are the Disney Cruise Line ships. They have four now and tell us about the future, Leslie, too. Sure. So there are four ships now, the smaller class of ships, the Disney Wonder and the Disney Magic. Those are the two original ships. And then Disney added a larger class of ships, which include the Dream and the Fantasy. So those are the four that are sailing right now. But these cruises have been in great, great demand and often sell out. And Disney is rapidly expanding as fast as they can. And there's a new ship coming. We just learned the name fairly recently. It's going to be the Disney Wish. And it's going to start sailing in January of 2022. And then there will be two more ships coming after that and a couple of years after that. So we will have seven, but we still have a couple of years to wait till we get to that point. These new ships are called Triton class ships. They are actually 
tad bit smaller than the dream class ships which are the dream and the fantasy but they have like kind of all these new bells and whistles like they run on natural gas and there's all these new amenities like they're just top of the line brand new built ships everyone's really excited uh every disney cruise line fan at least and Cruise fans in general are really excited as these ships come online. And Leslie said in the next couple of years, we'll see the other two. It's tough to say. They said they'd release set sail with one per year. But as with all things Disney and with all things construction, really, in any company, who knows when they'll actually come out. The wish was supposed to start in 2021, which technically it will be done in 2021, but it won't sail until 2022. But, you know, that's only two years from now. So it'll be very exciting to see uh, what this ship is uh, all about. And when it comes to cruising, a lot of it is about the destination. So, you know, what are the different destinations, the standard destinations that Disney Cruise Line goes to? So the most common destination, uh, the Caribbean and the Bahamas, those are the, the destinations that a lot of the ships will hit the usual uh, cruising itinerary through tropical destinations that are within close proximity of the Eastern seaboard. And then of course, Disney also does Alaska cruises. That is what I'm going to be doing in the summer of 2020. So look forward to a review of that in about eight or nine months. And then Disney does quite a lot of itineraries in Europe. They have cruises in the Mediterranean and in the Baltic and in like UK, like British Isles. So quite a lot of different options in Europe. And then there are a lot of sort of more one-off kind of itineraries. Like they go up and down the Pacific coast. They have like a Hawaii cruise um, a little bit. They hit Bermuda. There's a couple of cruises that go up to Canada from New York. Then, of course, they have the Panama Canal sailing when the one of the ships is repositioning from the Caribbean to Alaska. And then the um, transatlantic crossings as well when a ship is headed over to Europe from the Caribbean. Yeah, I mean, mostly the itineraries are going to be Europe and the Caribbean, but you do find these other little ones if your your timing can work out. Most people starting itineraries are normally going to be like a three to five day cruise in the Caribbean or in the Bahamas. Some points in the year, all four ships are sailing those waters. Um, but then, you know, in the summer, the magic is the one that makes its way out to Europe. And the wonder, which you'll be sailing, Leslie, is the one that makes its way out to Alaska. So I hear those ones going out of New York, either to Bermuda or up to Nova Scotia are actually really nice. Um, but those all happen in shoulder season, which is when most of the kids are in school. Maybe that's why people think they're so nice because there's so many kids in school and less kids on the cruises. You know, those are nice itineraries. But, you know, for beginners, we always recommend or I would recommend just a standard Caribbean or Bahamian cruise. Another reason to recommend that for beginners and what happens is people who love Disney like try to branch out into Disney cruise, but they have never cruised before. One nice thing about the Caribbean and especially the Bahamas cruises is the water, as long as there's not a hurricane, is generally pretty calm and pretty peaceful. So people who are worried about seasickness don't have to worry about that too much. Yeah, I definitely think it's important for people who haven't cruised before. And we had before we took our first Disney cruise. Make sure you know what you're getting into. And if you have somebody who has seasickness to be prepared for that. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely worth testing out. I did unfortunately have a friend whose child had zero seasickness or motion sickness. And they went on a four night cruise in the Bahamas on one of the bigger ships. And he was ill for the entire time. So it does happen, you know, even if you're prepared, but it's not that common. Quick tip on that, the lower you are and the more towards the center of the ship you are, the less you're going to rock. If you just think about a boat rocking in the water, you'll understand why. You know, it's just it rocks on the sides um, and the middle stays more central. It's funny because most of the restaurants are either in the 
in the front of the aft. So when you're eating, that's when you feel it the most uh, a lot of the time. It can be tough out there. That's right. I'm really, really lucky, I think, in my family that we haven't had any major motion sickness issues. So knock on wood. Well, speaking of the Bahamas, we need to talk about Disney's private island, Castaway Key, which is a stop for almost all of the Caribbean cruises for all of the ships. So I know you have visited Castaway Key. Tell us a little bit about what it is and what you think about it. Yeah, so it's Disney's private island. I think they have a lease through 2100 or something like that, or 2099. Everything there is like kind of owned and run by Disney. So my joke is uh, when you get out at any port, people are always trying to sell you things and bothering you. And you kind of don't know who's scamming you or who's not scamming you. Well, the nice thing about Castaway Key is you always know it's Disney, the one who's trying to scam you. So <laughs> touche. <laughs> everything, those, those sand toys that cost $20 that you could buy for $1 at CVS, that's Disney scamming you. But at least you know who it is. So you can trust the mouse. Um, but joking aside, you know, it does have that Disney level of quality. Your ship will dock there for the entire day. Um, You can go hang out at the beach. There's an adults only beach. There's a family beach. There's Pelican Plunge, which is a huge water feature with a huge water slide that as long as your child is a certain height, um, they can go down. They have to wear life vests until they're a certain height. So even if your kid can swim, um, they'll be wearing a life vest anyway. And you can go biking. There's lots of uh, water sport that you can do. Uh, Pelican Plunge on the beaches, those are free, but a lot of these other things are, you know, you have to pay extra for. So there's just like a lot to do on the island. It's a ton of fun. We generally just stick to the free stuff or maybe we'll rent bikes. And if you really want to splurge and you want to go all out, you can rent a private cabana for like a thousand dollars for the day and get your own kind of quiet spot on the beach. Yeah, we just went for the free as well um, when we stayed there. Although I, I take that back. We did do one excursion. We did like a glass bottom boat tour that we paid for, which I would not do again. It was just too far out of the way. Yeah, I mean, really, you can make a day of Castaway Key and all the foods included. And then there's also childcare for the older kids. They are three and up. So there, there really is a ton to do with all the activities. In fact, it's so popular that Disney actually does some cruises that do a double dip at Castaway Key. And those sell out faster than any of the other cruises that they offer. So it's definitely worthwhile. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to get to experience that on my Alaska cruise. And I'm kind of sad about that. But I want to go back and do maybe one of those double dip cruises at some point. Yeah, they are uh, quite expensive. I've looked into it. People love Castaway Key. I'm not like super in love with it like most people, but I really enjoy it. And I would say I would give it a strong like. It is one of the things that makes Disney Cruise Line special. There's also a 5K in the morning for people who want to run it, but it's just like a nice relaxing day on the beach. And like I said, it's a beach where you don't really have to worry about what's going on. Uh, You have food at the barbecue. You can always go back to the ship if you need to. And so, you know, it's a really just great place and everyone's happy there. And We should point out Castaway Key is is not going to be Disney's only private island because they just agreed to a lease for a new one, Leslie. Yeah, that's right. Lighthouse Point on, I don't know if I can pronounce the name of the island, but I know it's being designed by Joe Rohde, who did Aulani and Pandora. So it's going to be pretty breathtaking. Really looking forward to that, but got a ways to wait on that. I think it's pronounced Alusha. And one thing, if you're interested, if you're already a Disney Cruise Line fan, you probably have already heard this. But just in case, you should check out DCL podcast uh, with Steve Creasy and Christy Puddick. They interviewed someone who had visited the island of Alusha like regularly before Disney leased Lighthouse Point. And so they gave some really great background on the island itself and why it's going to be a great addition to Disney Cruise Line. Uh, Check that out if you get a chance. 
For sure. Well, let's uh, move back on board the ships and talk a little bit about the cabins because that is a big part of any of any vacation. And I have to say, like the the cabins at, on Disney Cruise Line are pretty unique. They're much bigger than other cabins. I mean, they're still not big. They're still not hotel room size because you're trying to cram as many people onto the ship as you can efficiently. But I, I found the cabins really well laid out for families. There are bunk beds. There's like one that pops down from the ceiling and another that's a sofa that turns into a bunk. And for the kids, and those are on the sort of window side of the cabin. And then there's like a big heavy curtain that you can close the rest of the cabin off, which would have a queen bed for families, for, for parents, and then the rest of the cabin includes like the bathroom. So really, really like the layout. What about you, Joe? What else? What other features of the cabin have you enjoyed? Yeah, I mean, it's just very well designed for families. Like the light pollution is at a minimum because of that current. So if the kids are sleeping, you know, you don't have to hide in the bathroom like you would at a hotel room. Generally, they can sleep unless your kids are super light sensitive. That curtain does a great job. The bathrooms, the toilet is split from the showers and there's sinks in both, um, which is super useful for a family as well. Like you said, there's a little more space. Yes, it's only maybe 15 square feet, but 15 square feet is huge when you're talking about cruise stateroom sizes. Um, So, you know, that's really nice and appreciated. And the cabin attendants are just amazing. My family's been on two Disney cruises and just top-notch service from the cabin attendants. There's been talk in recent years about how Disney cast members are not as nice and helpful as they used to be. Personally, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I will say on Disney Cruise Line, I've never had any bad service at all. So top notch. Yeah, I totally agree. The service there is stellar. And I mean, I generally find service on cruises. I mean, we haven't gone on cruises that are like the lowest and the cheapest, but I generally find that service is is quite good. But Disney is next level um, Disney Cruise Lines. Highly, highly recommended. All right. Well, let's talk about food and restaurants. Um, Disney Cruise Line has two seatings like a lot of cruise lines do, um, main seating and then a later seating. But they do something differently than a lot of other cruise lines. They have something called rotational dining where you dine in a different restaurant every night and then your servers move with you. So they still you still have that same continuity of service, but you're experiencing different restaurants with different themes. How did you find that, Joe? Loved it. After the first night, got a Diet Coke on the table immediately without having to ask. It's the little things, Leslie, that make a difference. They get a feel for what your kids need. The first night you go through any allergies your kids have, which the last time we were on a cruise was not relevant, but this time is going to be relevant. And so just really great service. It's it's really great having wait staff that just knows you and your family's needs. So uh, we really enjoy the rotational dining. The other thing we really enjoy about Disney Cruise Line is you get excellent food without, you know, having to pay extra. Like Royal Caribbean is famous for trying to upsell you, dine in some of the nicer restaurants, you're going to have to pay more. I would say that you could very happily just eat at the rotational dining restaurants plus the quick service stuff on the pool deck and cabanas, which is the buffet, which is always open and be pretty satisfied with your cruise experience. But there are some adult only options if you do want to splurge a little bit, Leslie. What are those? So all four of the ships have Palo, and that's a $30 upcharge. And then on the larger ships, the Dream Class ships, the Dream and the Fantasy, there is another fine dining experience, Remy, which is a $100 upcharge. So definitely a little pricier, but two great options. I certainly didn't feel compelled to have to try them on my cruise, and we'll see if I do on Alaska. Did you get to try any of them, Joe? 
So I asked my wife, I was like, hey, do you want to go to Remy? It's like a super fancy and nice French restaurant. And she's like, why would I pay $100 to go to a fancy French restaurant on a cruise that I've already spent thousands of dollars on? And I was like, uh, okay, maybe not. But we did go to Palo Brunch, which is a ton of food. I would recommend checking out Palo Brunch if uh, you want to try something out, Leslie. Brunch isn't offered on all days. I think it's usually offered on sea days, although on longer cruises, it might be offered more than that. But what they do is they have this gigantic brunch buffet, which has like a lot of amazing things on it already. But on top of that, you can order entrees from a menu and you're encouraged to order entrees from a menu. Bottom line, go to Palo Brunch, you will leave and you will be stuffed and you will not want to eat for the rest of the day, but you'll be on a cruise. So you will eat more and you will just continue to gain weight as you have been since the beginning of the cruise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, good. I've been warned. So I'll, maybe I'll give it a try on my Alaska cruise. But it is excellent. And you get your first uh, glass of champagne for free. So at $30, it's like a huge value. And my wife thought it was totally worth the $30. So we won there. Well, fair enough. And we should mention that the ships all have different restaurants for the rotational dining. So you won't get all of the same ones, depending upon which which ship that you're on. So take a peek at the, if there's some, some theming that you really care about, like a lot of people really are gung-ho about like Tiana's Place, for example. Take a look and make sure you know what ship offers what which restaurant. And they all have Animator's Palette, which is like a kind of animation studio designed restaurant. But what I learned when I sailed on the Disney Dream after having sailed on the Disney Wonder, is that animators' palettes have different shows. Even though it's technically the same restaurant, it's different themed and different entertainment. So that's pretty cool. Good to know. Well, let's move on really quickly to the onboard activities. Uh, There's so much to say here. We probably needed a standalone episode, but we'll go through them really quickly. One thing that I mean, the major reason that I really like Disney Cruise Line for families is the Kids Club, the Oceaneer Lab and the Oceaneer Club. And then there's a nursery for kids who are um, not potty trained and under under three. But the Kids Clubs on Disney Cruise Line are amazing. My kids were begging to be dropped off. Like I would come when I was on a cruise, my son was only three. So he was still pretty young for being dropped off. And I would pick him up and he will have gone down the like slinky dog slide 87 times, like dripping with sweat, just grinning ear to ear. They do kids programming so well at Disney Cruise Line. Is that your experience as well? My experience is that the kids clubs look amazing. And theoretically, I feel like they would be amazing for my kids. But my daughter has already said, hey, are you going to drop me off in the kids club on our next Disney cruise? Because I'm not sure I want to go. I think she's like kind of shy and embarrassed. Maybe I haven't dropped her off at the right time because they have times where they're led in arts and crafts. Like there is a thing where you make like matchbox cars and then Mickey comes and they do a Mickey on the roads to racers type race thing. I feel like if she had been there for that, she would have loved that. I've seen Elsa and Anna walking in there, lots of things going on, but she's a little shy. She said she definitely doesn't want to go without her brother. Oh, no. (laughs) At least they love each other, I guess. Yeah, I I guess that's right. Fair enough. (laughs) So, uh, So she's like, if we go, you know, you definitely have to send both of us and don't leave for more than an hour. So some kids... Uh, are a little anti-kids club. I still crossing my fingers. We're going to be traveling with my sister and her kids this time. And so I'm hoping that 
the four of our kids who are old enough uh, are going to enjoy themselves there. We'll see. Even if your kids don't use the Kids Club, there's tons of stuff to do on the newer ships. There's something called the Midship Detective Agency, which is like a scavenger hunt, which is a lot of fun, similar to Sources of the Magic Kingdom or Agent P's World Showcase Adventure uh, in the theme parks. And really, one of the best entertaining things for kids are the Broadway-style shows in the theaters. Do you want to tell us about those? Yeah, every night there is a full-scale Broadway-style show. I mean, these are amazingly well done. Usually cruise ship entertainment is kind of cheesy, kind of second-rate, and not the case on Disney Cruise Line. That is a huge value, and my kids really did enjoy the shows. They saw them most nights, although a couple of nights they were begging to go to the kids' club. I don't have the problem that you do, I guess, in that front. But yeah, that's that's a real highlight. We had a little trouble seeing them just because of kids getting tired um, after dinner. But now that my kids are a little bit older, I think that we're going to be able to enjoy them that much more. Yeah, really enjoyed those. Yeah, like really high production value, kind of as Broadway as it can get on a hunk of metal floating in the ocean. Really impressed by those. Even they're like they'll bring in magicians and uh, illusionists and things like that. My daughter like loves those as well. So really every show they have in those theaters every night is something worth checking out. Other special things they do is they have a special pirates night where everyone dresses up as pirates. Even if you didn't bring your own pirate gear, you get quote unquote free bandanas to wear to dinner and then there's like a pirate themed show at night and then fireworks that they shoot off of the uh top deck we really enjoyed that i know it's late did uh your kids make it to that even though it was so late yeah we we made it to to pirate night with you joe remember that <laughs> just just uh, for, my oldest child did and picks uh, didn't happen <laughs> i do have picks and they're going to go in the blog post now so there you go yeah my, my older daughter really enjoyed it a lot of fun for her it, it is hard when you have little little ones because my son was only three at the time and just couldn't make it so we will be making that a priority on our alaska cruise and then of course we need to mention the pools and all the water features and the there's there's a lot going on there um i, I do understand that on some sailings that are like hot weather sailings, they can get pretty crowded. But the cruise that I went on was a February cruise in the Caribbean. So they weren't oversubscribed and don't think that'll be a problem for Alaska either. But it really just kind of your mouths may vary with using the pools and the splash pad and the water slides, depending upon what cruise you're on. It's similar to what you would see in like a water park, but the dream has something called the aqueduct, which is a long tube that runs around the whole circumference of the entire ship. And it's like a gigantic water slide that goes all the way around that where you're sitting in like a little raft and looking forward to on the magic there's something called the aqua dunk where you start standing up vertically and a trap door opens below you and you get shot down into a slide well you don't get shot down but gravity does the work i don't know if my kids are going to be doing that but i know i'm going to be doing that in april Definitely. All right. Well, let's talk about the big elephant in the room, cost. We've alluded to the fact that Disney cruises are expensive. So let's just give folks a little bit of a, of a range. What's the cheapest you can get a Disney cruise for, Joe? Talking about you know the typical family of four, kind of the cheapest you will see is something along the lines of $800 a night. I like to think of it that way because it feels less painful than saying $3,200. These are for like inside staterooms, which on the newer ships are actually pretty nice. They have the portholes, quote unquote, on the inside staterooms have like their actually screens and like apparently Nemo and friends swim by and say hi to you every once in a while. If you are going to upgrade to either an ocean view room or a balcony, you're kind of adding on like $1,000 to that uh, total, not per night. 
for me, I, the way I ballpark it is if I'm getting a Disney cruise for around a thousand dollars a night for my family, I'll be pretty happy. So, so we're going on a five night in April. It came out to be around, or if we had been staying in one cabin only, it would have been around $5,800. Um, we actually got a second cabin and we're also stuffing my parents into our cabin with us too. So, um, it got pretty complicated, but I think it would have been around 7,000 for the five of us, um, for the five nights. So, you know, it's not cheap. Although when you start comparing it to how much Disney vacations cost and looking back at our Disney itineraries for different budget episodes, it's not that insane. However, I know you booked Alaska, which is towards the high end. Was that one insane? Well, it was if you wanted to get a balcony, which everybody does for Alaska because you want to sit out and enjoy the amazing views out the window. But we just couldn't justify the price differential. We ended up booking um, an ocean view, like a window room. But that itinerary for seven nights was nearly $10,000. And we booked it in early August because end of July was even more expensive. Like that's sort of the peak peak uh, period for cruising Alaska. So we're going like... The first week in August, which saves a little bit more money. But if we had chosen to book one of the balcony cabins, it was $14,000. It was five more total for just that balcony versus the window. And that's a lot of money. So we thought we'd just go up on the <laughs> deck and see the sites for ourselves for $5,000 of savings. But yeah, those are those get up there. The European cruises can get up there price-wise. The Caribbean and Bahamas ones are definitely the more economical options, especially if you, you can kind of go shoulder season or just sort of find a cruise that's undersubscribed. I mean, very few of them are, but occasionally it does happen. But yeah, Alaska sells out and the price is, is pretty astronomical. Hopefully it will be the trip of a lifetime. See, one issue with enjoying Disney Cruise or Disney stuff in general is your brain starts forgetting how much money is actually worth. Because I'm looking at these cruises for July 2020 and I'm like, oh, 7,500 for inside stateroom, 8,500 for ocean view for a seven night cruise. That doesn't sound so bad um, because my brain isn't realizing that that's actually a ton of money. Disney cruise is pretty great. Uh, I would say at least uh, try it once. Maybe don't start with Alaska though, because those are the most expensive. Yeah, fair enough. All right, so let's close things out with the Disney do or don't. I know uh, things have been running a little long, but Disney Cruise Line, it's a huge topic. Again, check out DCL Podcast, super useful. Um, but Leslie, do you have a Disney do or don't for us? Yes, um, this is a do that I wish I had followed on my first Disney cruise. Do, while you are on the cruise, put down a deposit for your next cruise because you will get savings on that next cruise and that deposit is fully refundable. Like, I have no idea why I didn't do it. I mean, there was kind of a line and I was not really understanding all of the, the nuances of how it works, but just do it. You can book a placeholder cruise even if you don't know when you're going to cruise next. The savings are well worth it now when you're talking about cruises that cost $10,000. And with those placeholders, it's 10% off the cruise um, at whatever time you end up booking your cruise. You can either book a cruise if you know which cruise you want to take in the future, or like you said, you can just put that $250 deposit down and have 10% off whenever you finally book your cruise. They used to come with a $200 onboard credit. Unfortunately, as of September, those have gone away, but still 10% off, you know, if we're talking about 10% off $7,500, um, that's like $750 right there. So that's pretty significant. In terms of actually booking the placeholder, I'd recommend just going early in the cruise because towards the end of the cruise, that's when everyone's lining up to go do that. Um, and you can make an appointment to meet with someone through the app and you'll just get a uh, notification when it's time to go to your meeting. So it's a lot better than even when we were there uh, at the same time in 2017. Great tip. Thanks, Joe. 
All right. Well, thanks so much. Have you ever been on a Disney cruise? What do you think of Disney Cruise Line? Is it too much for you? Do you prefer the parks or are you looking to branch out? Let us know, DisneyDeciphered at gmail.com, at www.deciphered on Twitter, or leave us a comment on our Facebook page, Disney Deciphered. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate it. Let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to cover, any of these other kind of outside of the theme park experiences that you'd like us to take a look at. And yeah, just really appreciate everyone who listens. We will talk to you all next week. And Leslie, I will see you sailing the seven seas. Thanks, Joe.